Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and uh, we have some kind of cool news because Behind the Play podcast got uh, credentialed somehow uh, for the Canadian men's national soccer team. So if people didn't know, I was there in in the press box, um, talked to the players a little bit after the game, uh, saw the coach and uh, other players have some interesting post-game comments after Canada lost 4-4. Uh, on away goals to Jamaica with uh, giving up three goals in the second half after being up one um, nothing in the game and 3-1 on aggregate. So uh, I am joined by the, the man, the myth, the legend, Adam Iafrady, <laughs> creates a freights, uh, who we've done a couple podcasts before, but uh, this man knows this Canadian men's national soccer team. Well, a lot of soccer, a lot of can- Canadian soccer, but, uh, you know, he we both have uh, strong opinions, but I think I, I should give you the floor. Whoa. Just with the the collapse last night at BMO Field, how big of a setback is this for the men's national team now that uh, they aren't making the uh, CONCACAF um, Nations League semifinals, but also not directly making the Copa America? Now they'll have to play Trinidad and Tobago in, I think it's Texas. March and in Texas. March, yeah, yeah um, to, to make the Copa America. Yeah, it, uh, the answer to the question will depend on what happens in March. Um, we don't know the full extent of it now, but missing Copa America would be devastating. I don't even know if you could quantify how important it is that they make that tournament. Um, so I guess I guess to fully answer the question, we'll have to wait until then. And uh, and I still, you know, have hope, and I would say even have confidence that they should be able to get the job done against Trinidad in a one-off. Um, but missing the Nations League semifinals is a pretty big deal for a number of reasons uh the first of which obviously is the most obvious they um don't have an opportunity at a trophy and it's something we've wanted for a long time with this particular group we feel like they have the quality to compete with anyone in the region and and they certainly do have the quality uh, to compete with anyone in the region uh, on their day and certainly not having an opportunity uh to even play for a trophy next summer is is a big uh, gut punch then beyond that, some of the more uh, you know nuanced disappointments <laughs> uh, will be will be about um, just missing out on opportunities to play against the best in the region. You know, it would have been uh, looked like it would have been a matchup with the U.S. should they have gotten through. So not uh, having a crucial match against the U.S. Uh, would have been certainly been very helpful. Um, but also now it looks like next year they're going to have to qualify to the quarterfinal round uh, of of Nations League. So they're going to have to go through probably a group phase similar to what Jamaica had to do. Um, and play against some smaller CONCACAF nations, as opposed to getting the direct qualification and maybe using those windows um, the way that they should have this year, really, yeah. uh, with arranging certain friendlies against higher level opponents. So it's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? It's <laughs> just like it just it's like gut punch after gut punch. Um, there are a lot of downsides to what happened yesterday. I would I would argue that the biggest is the threat of missing Copa America, but it's certainly not the only. And and even if they are to make Copa America, the the loss yesterday is going to have unfortunately uh, lasting ramifications. And there's such a contrast with the game last night compared to about 18 months ago when Canada beat Jamaica in March 2022 to send themselves to the World Cup. And and um, I know uh, there's been, you know, there was a tweet today by Sid Sixero that, uh, you know, got a lot of rise. And I just want to, because you mentioned about, about all these gut punches that the program, the players have really had, uh, I think Arash Madani, I didn't overhear it, but heard a lot of swearing in the uh, Canadian men's national team's locker room mm-hmm. after the game. Um, just like... 
is was making the World Cup a flash in the pan, or was it, uh, you know, not the case where there is, you know, kind of real merit and and that this program, even though they've been through so much turmoil and and really lack of success since, mm-hmm. um, are still going to be a, a pretty good program for the region and, and be maybe more successful in the World Cup than they were last time. Yeah, no, I, I thought the take from um, from Sid was 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 off the mark completely. I think I think it was reactionary and it was emotional. Um, and Sid, I'm sure he's a great guy. I've actually met Sid, so I shouldn't say I'm sure he is a great guy. Yeah, um, I've met him on a few occasions. But he, he, you know, he, he's he's very opinionated and he's very emotional at times, and uh, and it was a, it was a, it was a tweet out of frustration, I'm sure. But I, I don't think like it's it's hard to look at the squad and 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 think there was anything fluky about what Canada did. I mean, they went into Central America and won. They went into every basically every away USA Mexico and got results, uh, and they took care of business at home. And clearly, on on talent alone of of the squad, um, there's certainly a top four, and I would I would argue certainly even a top three nation in the region just on pure talent so there was nothing fluky about getting there and they did it in pretty convincing fashion um they were on track to have uh, an undefeated qualification campaign and they had a late slip up in a game where they had a red card for most of the match and then i mean the final match they had already qualified i don't know how much they really uh put forward into that match against panama but uh, you have what was very close what was the closest in recent memory to a, a perfect qualification campaign um and so that's, yeah, there's, there's no way you can look at, at what they did. And even if you're looking at the program now, objectively, there are not three teams in the region more talented than Canada. I think Jamaica could kind of be close. When yeah, I was going to say. But there, there, still, there still is, I think, a, bit, a slight talent gap between even Canada and Jamaica. And, uh, and then, you know, Panama, I think, punched but way above their weight. But talent, they're not quite at that level. And Costa Rica has kind of fallen off. Uh, pretty significantly so yeah there's there's nothing fluky about it i mean if they had to qualify for the world cup again in 2026 they even if it was uh, a 32 team format you know rather than a 48 i mean the 48 i think they would have qualified quite easily but if you're asking me if i think right now they'd qualify you know for for 2026 if they had to go through world cup qualifying i would say absolutely i still would would bet on them do it again so i don't think it's accurate and i think good times are, are around the corner um and that's just not, you know, I'm, I'm not even an overly optimistic person when it comes to sports. I mean, like everyone texts me throughout the game, like, oh man, we got this. And I'm just like, shut up, <laughs> stop yeah, talking. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I'm one of those people. So I'm not an optimistic person at all. And you know this even from our interactions. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, say something positive, we'll be like, hey, man, it's too early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, um, that's, that's, that's the Leafs uh, being ingrained. It is, it's the and Leafs, Blue Jays it's, a little it's bit Canada too. Soccer, Jay, it's everything, man. The Raptors up until 2019, it was the same thing. So it's just a lot of, I've, I just, I've seen it too many times and I don't, I don't like to get myself into the emotional headspace of a win until the win is like for sure until it's for certain. So even yesterday I was, I was scared. And I always like, I always think of what, it, what could go wrong. What is the, the, what is the scenario and how can it go poorly? You know, and coming into the match, and this is where I think we were a bit naive. I wanted to get into this at some point today. Yeah, go Maybe for I'll it. do it now. I think we were naive in the World Cup in 2022 in that we we knew we had quality and we knew we could play, but maybe we didn't fully give the teams we were playing credit for the quality they had. Just ask Croatia. Yeah, to just to to you know to to flip the game on its head and and you know in one moment, um, or Belgium. You know, uh, we I think we all played them for legitimately 75% of the match and they had one moment and they capitalized. And so like there's a certain level of quality that those teams have that if you, you can't switch off for, for five seconds in a match. 
Um, and we switched off multiple times across the two legs. And the first goal, you think about the first leg, yeah. we switch off for, you know, five seconds on a free kick. We could argue if the free kick should have been allowed to be taken and yada, yada, yada. It doesn't really matter at this point. It was allowed to be taken. It's CONCACAF. That stuff happens in this region. We should know that better than anybody. And they score because we switched off. You know, and then you, you think about this 10-minute stretch. We can see two goals in five minutes. And generally, even before that, sloppiness for five minutes probably should have conceded before the, either of the two goals were scored. And it's just a moment where we switch off. And and there was some naivety after allowing the first goal where, you know, on the second goal, Ismail Kone loses the ball high up the pitch. But everyone in a Canada shirt is high up the pitch. Like we had nine of our, in maybe not nine, eight, eight of our 11 players were caught high up the pitch. And it was Derek Cornelius and Kamal Miller left to defend a four on two. So you can't put your, I mean, like you have to understand the situation at a, at a certain point, you have to recognize coming into this match. We didn't, we didn't need to win. We actually didn't even need a result. If we just didn't concede two goals, we were through. That was the, that was the calculus. If you don't concede two goals, there's 0% chance you don't make it. So coming into a match, I'm not saying bunker. I'm not saying, you know, absorb pressure, anything like that, but have a defensive responsibility the entire 90 minutes just to ensure you don't allow two goals because the job is done if you leave the match allowing one goal or a shutout obviously you're through so that would have been my focus and my priority is like when we need to get guys behind the ball we need to get guys behind the ball especially 10 seconds after you know conceding a goal not not literally but it felt like it we certainly can't push nine bodies up the pitch and get caught on a counter immediately after like that's just irresponsible i don't know who that falls on but it's the same naivety that we saw, unfortunately, in Qatar. It's like not like we didn't play a decent game, not like we didn't create chances. I mean, the game could have been 4-0 at half, let's be real. But you have these moments, this 10-minute stretch, and just like it was in the first match with the with the free-kick goal, uh, you know, where, where uh, Shamar Nicholson's played through, what are we do? What? How are we allowing mm. ourselves mentally to switch off? Or are we just not giving our opponents enough of credit and we don't think that they can hurt us? Because clearly they can. Yeah. No, it's, it's so interesting because what I think about is how Canada conceded the least amount of goals and um the qualifying run and i mean uh i think james Sharman had a funny tweet yesterday where it's like what does canada need and that the poll was center back center back center back and i mean to in the game uh on yesterday i wouldn't really say that the center backs were particularly poor i wouldn't say they were particularly great but on the two goals that were they were beat by it wasn't uh the defenders and then one's a penalty yeah. of a handball it wasn't even like a tackle or anything like that out of mm -hmm. position but um that's the thing with this team is that they had that continuity they had the ability to you know be the sum of their parts rather than you know be fragmented into all their parts as individuals and i really noticed that now with the team is um, I mean I Davies has all these amazing runs but never really finds it the right ball, the right teammate, mm -hmm. even though he had a goal and an assist, I actually felt he, you know, gave a, a lot back that he could have, you know, had two goals and two assists. Honestly, he was, mm -hmm. he created that much, but just didn't really see the right players. And it was very individualistic. I'd say, I'm not saying he was trying to be selfish, but trying to maybe do too much. Right. And and that's when you don't have, uh, you know, the a game plan in place that, allows you to be a team and you know Stefan Huzakio gives up the ball and it probably was a foul but at the same time it's you know he had an outlet and why are you being dangerous as you mentioned and just not being smart yeah. and Borean said it Kay said it um just they lost their nerve and and we didn't see this team lose their nerve 
um, before the World Cup. And ever since, it's really, you know, sometimes you have this elite confidence and everything was going well and then adversity hits and they really haven't shown it since the World Cup. But I also think, again, it comes down to like, when did we stop respecting our opponents that way? Because at, at the beginning of World Cup qualifying, we certainly did. And I think you've even seen a, a, a shift. In, I mean, Canadian, all other Canadian fans will, will say this. I totally agree with your assessment of Davies doing too much, like 80% of the time. Sometimes he's so talented that it works, right? Yeah. And he's still he's so dynamic that it works. But there's so many times you're just like, play quick. Like, just play quick. Everyone else is touching out, touching out. You know, you're constantly, the ball's moving. The ball's always going to move faster than any player. Even Alfonso Davies, maybe the fastest player on the planet. The ball always moves faster. So quick decisions, trust your teammates. Ball comes to your feet, one touch and out. That's how you got to play football. And use your pace to get on the end of a ball, right? Rather than trying to take a guy on one-on-one or one-on-two, one-on-three, which you see so many times. It, it feels like it's something that we didn't see early in World Cup qualifying because early in World Cup qualifying, I think Canada was more scared to be hurt. I think they were scared to lose. I think they respected their opponents at a different level. I think they looked at their opponents and and saw all the ways that they could hurt them. Now, I think Davies overestimates, like like he just thinks it's 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 easy. Frankly, he thinks it's going to be too easy. And yeah. you notice because he doesn't do that when he plays for Bayern. Yeah, what's interesting <laughs> is he also missed like half of the World Cup qualifying cycle. He did, and and, right? and don't get me wrong, I still think we're a better player with Davies. I'm yeah, not going to yeah. be. I'm not like know, Canada's oh, best better performances with, um, were with Davies in a lot of ways. Like just... yes, and and the game breaking ability he has is something that nobody else in the region has, and so I I would not trade that on my team for anything. But I do think you need to figure out how to harness that in a way where it's more like you're 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 kind of respecting the game, the team aspect of the game a little bit more, and your opponent. Um, because I think the early Alfonso Davies with Canada did that really, really well. He knew when to pick his spots and his moments, and he knew, you know, when to really to trust his teammates and to to hit Jonathan Davies with a, a pass and then try to make a run. And you don't, you know, you don't have to have the ball at your feet to be dyna- a dynamic creator. You can you can mm-hmm. create with your legs. His speed is so game breaking that he can make runs that open yeah. up everything for your attack. So I, I think he tries to do a lot now, and I think part of that is again maybe they just don't look at Jamaica and think that this is a team that that really scares us because if you if you if you watch Davies in the Bundesliga he he does not play that way at all he plays quick he if anything I'd argue he plays too conservatively for his abilities like he he could do probably more than he shows with Bayern but because it's he's at Bayern he kind of recognizes like hey this I don't run the show here and um yeah and he's a left back where you don't want to get caught in, in in that position out of position so I think his philosophy is not necessarily perfect with Bayern. I would love to see him be a little bit more aggressive and assert himself a bit more on those matches. But with Canada, it's like the total opposite. He tries to do it. He tries to make up for what he doesn't do with Bayern when he plays with Canada, and he just wants to do everything. And so, yeah, trust your teammates, move the ball quicker. But I think it's just part of it's part of respecting your opponent because you know he knows that the, the way to win is not that. It's not trying yeah. to take guys one on three, you know. Yeah. That's not what they teach you at any level of football. It's n- it's not a successful strategy. Yeah, no, and I just keep thinking about the difference between even though obviously the team didn't do well in uh, in Qatar, but just John Herdman is just such a massive um, hole that this program needs to to figure out. I I, I have a feeling that Moro Biello is probably not the long term plan. I know for you, you have strong opinions on that and and i don't think you're a big fan but um and i wouldn't really blame him on this result purely on him i don't think like it was more bad um kind of individual mistakes rather than 
they kept getting beat down the right, you know, one flank or set pieces obviously turned off for the the goal against Jamaica, but I don't think, I don't know. It's, it, I find that hard to blame the coach all the time for those. I agree. Kids. I was saying that in the space yesterday, I was, you know, everyone was, was calling for Biello's head and I'm like, guys, like, okay, are, are, were some of the decisions late in the match, the subs, were they the yeah, subs the that subs, we with? No, it, right? Do I think maybe the setup was a bit naive? Do I think maybe after we concede the first goal, like maybe there's a, a quick discussion or even at halftime? Like I said, you, you don't concede two goals, you're through. Maybe the discussion at halftime needs to be different than what it was because obviously we didn't come into the second half looking like we had no, uh, the right game plan. So, you know, I, I don't want to let him off the hook completely, but I will say, like, there needs to be accountability on the players. There needs to be accountability on the 11 guys actually on the pitch who are making decisions and making the mistakes. And really you shouldn't be looking at an interim manager for like your entire strategy for the match. They knew what result they needed. You know what I mean? Like you don't need a manager to tell you, Hey guys, it's really important. We don't concede here. Like, you know, yeah. five, five minutes after we've conceded, it's really important that we don't, push don't turn nine off. bodies up the pitch and let them hit us on a four on two where they're going to expose our pace. Like that, that, that should not need to be said to your team. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I can I can only assign so much of the blame to Biello. And in terms of Biello, I actually have nothing against the guy as a, as a person, as a manager. He seems like a great person. I'm sure as a manager, he has his quirks like any other manager, his strengths and weaknesses. Um, for me, it's just about I think the program needs to go in a direction with a reputable name who the players immediately are going to come in and respect and a new fresh voice. He's a familiar voice. He's somebody who's been around. Um, yeah. who they already have relationships with. I think you need kind of a fresh set of eyes looking at the entire player pool, uh, reevaluating it the way Herdman did in 2019 when we kind of assembled the team that would end up taking us to the World Cup. He had a big camp and he just trialed a bunch of guys and tried guys even in different roles and experimented and figured out what he had. While, and he, he did that to create his tactical identity. Um, we don't have a tactical identity right now that's any different, no. really, because, you know, to Biello's defense, he hasn't really had time to build that. But I also don't think it's it's advantageous to have a guy who's been in the system, who's a, a, a kind of an old voice who people have already, they already know. They already kind of know his style and the way he works. You kind of need a fresh voice to come in and shake things up. So so that's the main reason why I, I want them to hire a manager, not because, you know, I think Biello's, a, you know, horrible person or whatever or he yeah, doesn't yeah. know what he's doing yeah, it's, it's more, more about, about it's a, it's got to be a fresh voice it's got to be somebody with a reputation who the players can look up to you know and and and, and, and like, trust his game plan yeah and and to be fair to like kind of critiques like he hasn't had this outstanding career and it's been then with canada and you know even john herdman had way more success becoming the men's um, coach, even though you could say, oh, it was the women's game. I still think it's the same game at the end of the day, um, just different, uh, you know, uh, genders or sexes. But um, what do you think, like, how important is that next hire for this program heading into 2026? Like, for me, it's almost the biggest, outside of maybe making Copa America, just because of the experiences that you want you need the players to to get into outside of that which is basically your world cup qualifying uh tournament in some ways copa america how important is is getting another coach that really pushes this program forward it's 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 everything right it's it's hugely important um the next hire needs to be and this is why i don't have a problem with the process going to a third party taking your time because the next hire needs to be the, the the manager who you think is taking you into 2026 None of this, you know, short-term planning, who's going to get us to Copa America, who's going to... No, you, you need to build a tactical identity, which takes time. Uh, and you need to reevaluate the player pool from, from scratch. And I think, obviously, there's like seven, eight guys who you're pretty sure are locks going forward. 
but you still need to reevaluate the entire player pool and you need to figure out how to fill those the rest of the pieces uh, for your 2026 roster. So I, I think a fresh set of eyes is very important. And I think you want it to be somebody who the players have some sort of knowledge of. They don't need to have a relationship with. I actually think maybe better if they don't have a relationship with, but somebody who is a name that they might recognize or somebody who they immediately will see as a, as, as a credible voice. Um, I think it's, it's everything. Like I said, it, it, if Canada ends up hiring a manager who doesn't have any pedigree at all um, and ends up, I, I think that, I think this is kind of the trajectory we're on right now. I think what you're seeing right now is kind of where we're heading. It's going to be mixed, a mixed bag in CONCACAF where there's enough talent that you're going to be able to beat most teams, but you're going to get caught every once in a while because there are teams that are close to the level of Canada, which is, you know, Jamaica, Panama. I think those teams could definitely beat Canada as we just saw. Um, and Costa Rica even. And I think those are the types of teams that might catch Canada. Uh, don't mind my dog. I, there's nothing no, I can fine. do about this. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think those are the teams that potentially could catch Canada if they're not organized and they don't have, you know, maybe the correct players to complete the and, puzzle. Yeah. And just going to the World Cup, right? Uh, I don't think losing every single game will be at all, you know, not just making the World Cup, but successfully, you know, I think the the minimum is winning a game at the World Cup. Uh, closer to that probably will be making out of the group, especially with 48 teams. Obviously, the, the the pool should be, you know, lower bars to entry. I don't think they'll probably have a, a group like Croatia and Morocco, two teams that no. make the semifinals, and then Belgium, who was, I think, number one in the world or number two in the world at the time that yeah. they played them yeah. uh, at the World Cup, although I don't think that, obviously, they went out early. So, But at the same time, um, it's really... You know, you talk about tactical identity, but it's growing the program to a place where Canada, with all the talent that they have now, you know, um, they everyone says it's the most talented roster ever, but we need to make it not just one add to that talent, add to the um, player pool, grow players within the system like John Herdman did in so many ways. And then at yep. the same time, not just have a lot of good parts, but let them work together and be really su successful because um i don't think there's any real uh answers at the back right now at least not in the next year or two maybe by mm -hmm. 2026 um luke i can't say his last name the role the yeah. role i saw him after the game actually um but uh was he sad did he look depressed no he just looked lost in the bmo oh, okay. lobby i would i would say that that was it okay but um poor kid man yeah, but but for him, just you know, he's a or he's a defender. They don't have too many um, coming up, but just growing the pool. Um, because if you look at this team, there's as you said, six, seven, eight guys that are going to probably be there for Canada starting or or have a big role in 2026. Mm -hmm. But then it falls off pretty dramatically, right? Yeah. Um, the depth in this team is better than it's ever been. At the same time, it's not nearly what it could be um compared to just the starters right like it is a big drop off like if Ustakio goes off you have no one even close to him even no. Kone goes off you have no one even close to him Davies David um not really that many players that are maybe not comparable but even yeah. close to them so the top end talent is on a different level that's that's for sure and and they haven't been able to the last player they've added to that you know top end group would be uh, Ismail Kone and they haven't had um, any luck since then really finding an, another player who's of that importance. Um, 
since that. And it's, it was kind of a process of discovering, right? It's like, oh, uh, Stefan Usaki, really good. You know, Kyle Aaron scores a lot of goals. You yeah. know, Jonathan David and Davies, obviously people knew. Taysom and- Buchanan was a revelation. Alistair Johnston, like all of these guys kind of had their moment where they came and emerged. Uh, and that happened really rapidly. And then suddenly it was like, okay, well, who's next? Kone came up and then that was about it. So yeah. I think we're looking, we're looking for that. Who, who's going to be the next like walk-in starter guy you can't leave off the team sheet who emerges? Is it somebody who's been called before who hasn't really had an opportunity or is it somebody who we haven't even mentioned yet? I, for me, I have one and it's not really a, a young player per se, but I I think we're times done for Milan Bonjan. I just, yeah, I, I'm in last night. Um, I wouldn't say he was really at fault. Maybe the second goal, you could blame him a little bit. Mm-hmm. But again, none of them are, oh, a blunder or, you know, that should be saved. It was more, oh, maybe he could have. And, and then yeah. one's a penalty. But um, more just for Dwayne St. Clair is just um, uh, not doing. Yeah, Dwayne St. Clair is just way better at the, at the back. Max Cropo is obviously yeah. coming off injury. One, they're just better tactically for this team because they get, you know, with poor defenders and a, a poor keeper at, at distributing the ball, it makes it much harder to to break out and really just get on the attack and just not put yourself in bad positions in your own half, right? And and you see that time and time again. Look at Stefan Hustakio losing the ball. If you have a better goalie to distribute, maybe he doesn't have to make that decision in the middle of the park, right? Or or yeah. near so. And just shot stopping too. I think those goalies are probably better than Borian right now. So that's one. Now for the d- defense and a young player, there's a lot of guys. Ali Ahmed. Um, there's there's a lot of players kind of there, but none that seem kind of obvious. Other than Matthew Schwanier, who I, I know mm-hmm. you you want on this team, but I don't know if he'd start yeah, all the yeah. time. It's more just be in the squad and and maybe play a little bit of a role. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, I don't think there's anybody who's emerged at that level where it's like so the talent is so undeniable that you're like they need to be on the pitch um but there are guys who i would have had here and and matthew frenier is of course one of them and ali ahmed i would love to see him get some minutes over these two legs i think you know maybe especially late in a match when we were kind of trying to pick a lock um trying to figure out how we can break down jamaica sitting behind the ball i think ahmed's the type of guy who has a little bit of class and he could maybe figure out uh, how to create, you know, mm-hmm. put a good ball in the box or to maybe dribble past a defender and, and draw foul or something, something that they just were lacking in the final few minutes. Um, but, but again, I, I agree with you in the sense that I don't know if there's anybody that's, oh, that's super obvious who's, who's like being denied um, an opportunity. I think Schwanier is the closest thing that's like, I, and I, I, I'm suspicious that he was injured, but apparently, apparently he, I've heard he was not injured. I've heard it was, it was a decision about CF Montreal's form. Uh, but then, you know, but then you think, then you think like Samuel Piet is on the same team and he got a call, right? And you have TFC players like, you know, Jonathan Osorio hasn't played a meaningful game because TFC has been so far out of uh, yeah. the playoff picture and, and they've been, their season's been done for, for even longer. So it's like, I don't know how we can, if that's the argument, I don't know how we can really justify the argument. So definitely squad decisions were something that and, um, we're going to, are going to continue to be uh, and, criticized as they kind of should, you know? And and to go back to Herman, like he was so hands on with the development programs, with finding players like Ismail Kone, which just found, uh, mm-hmm. played a couple games for for CF Montreal, and then he's on the national team, and then he's playing against, I think it was Panama. Um, I could be mistaken, but Costa Rica, I think it was Costa Rica, yeah, baby. Costa Rica, and then he played against Panama. But um, my point being is that 
Herdman took those chances. He saw the talent and put them, inserted them into the lineup. And, and with Mauro Bielo, um, just he hasn't done that with anyone. It's been super safe. And that's okay. But at the same time, um, I think going forward, this team, especially when it gets to Copa America, when it um, you know, might be going with in the minnows and CONCACAF to make the Nations League um quarterfinals, they need to bring up younger players and try them out because it doesn't make sense. Right now, you, your whole goal is to make 2026 as good of a performance as possible. Um, obviously make Copa America. I think you can be safe for that one game. But outside of that one game against Trinidad, um, this team really needs to start finding players and really taking chances in the games that, that they're playing to, to use young players. Because right now, the pipeline really seems to be drying up and that just cannot be the case. Um, even if it's one or two players, that makes a huge difference. So um, that's it something. Does. You saw that. I mean, if you find a player who has possesses a certain skill set or certain qualities, it changes an entire team. You know, Stephanie Stacchio, you take him out of the team, very and just, and just think about how he was found. Him. Like yeah. he was born in Canada, you know, lived in Portugal. Um, I think for a lot of the majority of his life, I think he moved at 15. So he was actually, 15. I think it was probably more in Canada, but still, yeah, he did yeah. move to Portugal and, and then so represented like, Portugal. He, he represented Portugal and like <clears throat> John Herdman convinced him to come to Canada. And like, we need more of those, mm-hmm. you know, Tamori is always someone that I'm just going to, you know, cry about in my sleep when I think about the national team. But yeah. um just finding those kind of gems, which we really haven't found. I guess Luke de Fougerol. Did I say that right? Good. There's my French. But um, <laughs> just more players like that. Obviously, Luca Colioso. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to come about. But just those kind of players that are dual nationals, bringing them in, trying them out, trying to get more players come to this team. And at the same time, with a home World Cup, there's a lot of incentives for people wanting to to play for Canada. And then you get to play with Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, list goes on and on. So, um, yeah, I just I just do worry till we have a solution at manager um, and really just what is next for this team, because it really feels like it's kind of stagnated significantly since the World Cup. I, I mean, I can't argue. I can't argue it. Um, it's frustrating and it's a frustrating reality. I don't know how much of it falls on um, Bielo even because I think it's an unfair situation that like everyone was saying, oh, why didn't we call so-and-so? All these young players, you know, that we had in previous camps. And while I'd love to see young players, I also think, like, these were kind of must-win matches. Yeah. And it, it, it wasn't really the time to experiment. And I've beat this horse to death by now, but uh, the Gold Cup was the time. And there were so many, I think, so many obvious selections that didn't happen, unfortunately. And so many young players who were on pretty good form who either didn't get called or didn't play when they got called. They got called and they just kind of, the minutes were really, really scarce. Yeah. So that is difficult to reconcile, especially when uh, late in the match, you know, you're looking for answers and we had already subbed out a lot of our talented players. Um, you know, so a lot of our go-to guys like uh, Buchanan and Laren had been subbed out and um, you know, Eustachio they were taking out, which I still disagree with, but you know, that I'm not going to get too deep into that, <laughs> but a lot of these really important players are, are out of the match or coming out of the match. And we need, you know, a presence in the box and we bring on young Jason Russell Rowe. And I think it's, such an unfair situation for him to put him in a situation like that, to throw him in, into the fire like that. When you had all gold cup to really give him confidence and get him these important minutes um, that you would, you know, you knew were going to be valuable for him because at some point you're going to need to throw him in, in a situation like that. 
but it would have been much better if he had that gold cup experience, you know, bagged maybe a couple goals and had confidence were in the Maple Leaf. And then you throw him in, in the 88th minute with 10 minutes of stoppage time and you see what he can do rather than it felt like I, it still feels like I've never seen him play for Canada because his minutes have been so, so few and far between and so late in matches. It's like, I, I don't know what he is with the national team yet. I don't know if he knows what he is with the national team yet. I don't know if he knows where he fits in. So yeah. that's that was a missed opportunity in the Gold Cup. It was a missed opportunity, again, uh, playing against Japan. Mm-hmm. So at some point, you have to balance the results and the importance and need of getting results with integrating young players. Otherwise, you find yourself where so many national teams have been in the past in this graveyard somewhere between generations where they're trying to figure out how do we maximize our results, but also recognize that our team is aging out and we have nobody who's at the level to replace them. So when yeah. guys like Stephen Vittoria retire and we have not groomed a replacement for Stephen Vittoria, that's a problem. You know, yeah. we, we have to play important matches following that. And for the 2026 World Cup, Stephen Vittoria is not going to be there to save the day. And, and, you know, frankly, as fans, we probably shouldn't want him to have to be there to save the day because no. we probably shouldn't be starting. He's already kind of fallen out of form in his in his uh, club situation in Portugal. We shouldn't be starting a 38-year-old center back in, in the World Cup. Like, I, I just think we need to be preparing these contingency plans, if you want to call them that, four years in advance. And for me, if it was just purely up to me, the second we lose in Qatar, the second we're officially eliminated after the third match, is when I start thinking, okay, I have my seven, eight guys who I feel like are going to be here for sure in 2026. Yeah. And then I have another group of maybe six guys who I'm like pretty sure will still have enough juice to give me something valuable in 2026. Mm-hmm. That's my core. That's the team I'm building around. My job for the next four years is figuring out where I'm finding the other eight guys who are on the plane or whatever the number is, right? Whatever number, you, you know, you do the calculus and you're left with how many guys are, are we short? How many guys are going to either age out or the quality is not going to be where it needs to be, mm-hmm. right? Like a Daniel Henry situation. He didn't age oh out God. necessarily, but he just wasn't at the quality that we needed yeah. where we were going. So it's like how many guys fit into those two boxes and whatever that number is, that's how many guys you got to figure out how to replace. However yeah. you do that, whether it's by inviting them into your, to your camps, just to get them a feel for the national team, Maybe it's integrating promising youth players. Um, maybe it's having Camp Poutine and just having a full player assessment camp. You call in a bunch of young guys. You call in a uh, uh, do uh, Michel do do Merci Michel. You call in a, a Simon Collin. You you call in a whole mm. you know whole bunch of guys who we haven't had any any looks with with the national team. Whether they're you know Lucas Diaz, and you just kind of see where they're at. You get a feel. You, you first of all you're keeping in touch with them and you're you're making them you know understand that they're still very much part of the picture which is valuable, but also you kind of can understand what qualities they bring and you can groom guys for roles, you know? And this idea that, that you know, you, you if you're so young, you, you how can we give you an opportunity as a serious national team? But I would just respond with the Ismail Kone situation. Like how many, he had like five professional games and he yeah. was on the national team, yeah. right? Because if you're if you're good enough, you're old enough. And it might be the case for Luke Defugerol too. I'm not saying he should have started in these matches against Jamaica, no, but I certainly so. but I certainly think you need to get him involved yeah. at some point in the near future. Because I think, again, it's the same situation. If he's good enough to start matches in the Carabao Cup for Fulham, just based on level alone of where he's playing, that would make him our best center back. Yeah, And yeah. we have to recognize that, you know? And, yeah. so, and he's 18. So we have to recognize the value of, of, a, of a prospect like that. And we can't just let him kind of sit and rot. We have to figure out how do we groom this guy 
because in 2026, we're going to need that dude to not just be on the team, but we're going to need him to be a dude. He's going to have to be a guy who carries a big weight. He might have to be our start, like our star center back. He might have to be the number one guy. Um, at this rate, he probably will have to be the number one guy unless somebody else emerges that I'm unaware of. So, 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 you know, you, you need to be thinking kind of three years ahead, four years ahead when it comes to these cycles, look at the entire cycle in its totality. Um, and a manager is a big part of that role. Maybe they didn't anticipate they were going to lose Herdman. I think that that's, that's the case. I don't think that they had yeah, I, I, plans I of losing Herdman. Um, you know, people said, oh, why wouldn't you have a contingency plan? You can't really have a contingency plan. Other managers are unless, unless it's like I'm going to retire after 2026. Yeah. Which, like if if yeah, if they expected him to be there for four more cycles, then, yeah, I blame them. But I don't think that's really the case here. I, I want to go off that just a little bit what you said, because I want to put a little bit of glass half full for this, because you talk about um, just the players heading into 2026. And the thing with 2022 and maybe going back to Sid Sixero's, um tweet, but. This seems so young in a lot of ways. Jonathan David's 23. Alfonso Davies, I don't even know if he's 23 yet. Um, Tejon Buchanan's maybe 24. Um, even Ustakio is, you know, more like 28. But um, the core of this team is young. Esmail Kone is only 21. So um, the future going into 2026 is all these young players that had the taste in Qatar mm-hmm are going to be even more so in their prime, even more so presumably better, but also more experienced, understand um, these moments, been in those moments before. Um, and so in a lot of ways, um, sure, it's been disappointment, disappointing. But if you looked at this team and in, in 2018, when John Herdman took over and you said, okay, now you know the whole history, we make the World Cup, then we go through this slide and we're you know barely... We were barely losing to Jamaica when we probably should have. Things didn't go our way. Still probably a very good chance of going to Copa America. One of the two or three, maybe maybe the three or four best teams in the region. You'd say, whoa, what the heck? This is awesome. Yeah. And all our players are essentially under 25 that will be um, stalwarts going into a home World Cup. You'd be like, wow, that's amazing. What happened? What changed? I know Alfonso no, no. Davies and, and no one else. And I'm not, I'm not, I just mean it, it feels so doom and gloom because everything came so rapidly, right? The world cup came so unexpectedly. And then we're thinking, Oh, Belgium, that's an easy win. They suck. Right. <laughs> um, and Croatia, uh, you know, they're not that, that good. They're old. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we play the U S and we lose two nothing and it's like the sky is falling. And that U.S. team is probably the most talented U.S. national team ever yeah. assembled. Um, you know, maybe not the best in terms of a team team, but talent-wise is is yeah. incredible. So um, we're becoming a soccer nation. That's why we're on these discussions right now and, and cr- criticizing, critiquing, because in you know even five, ten years ago, no one was doing that, um, right? Or not that many people. Sorry, um, yeah. and no, so right, it's though. just. Everything you said is right. Everything you said is right. It, it's it, you have to have perspective sometimes. And I still do that. And even yesterday, you know, like I, I had to kind of have a moment. I was obviously pretty upset. But yeah. I had a moment where it was like, hey, like we're going to the 2026 World Cup. We still have a very realistic chance of going to Copa America. Like there, yeah. this is it when could I, be worse. And I've been a fan where it's been much, much worse, you know, and I think it's a, and, and this you know, isn't eight Matthew, one. This isn't so, eight one. And I think Matthew Shinetti tweeted this and I, I hope I'm not wrong because I, I, I don't want to misquote him, but um, I believe it was Shinetti. He does great work, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. He said something like, 
you know, but the standards have changed. Or maybe it was a rash. I'm not sure. But the, you know, somebody said something, that. I know that. something along along the lines of, um, you know, but what you're saying and and so and this I, whether it was Shinetti or a rash it was like but the standards have changed, you know, and we have to change our expectations along with it. And I couldn't agree more. The standards have changed, but I think it's a good reminder that like growth, the trajectory of growth is not it's not linear. Like you don't nothing actually in life really happens that way. Um, things happen over a prolonged period of time. And there's ups and downs within that. But to pretend that we're in a worse situation or even a comparable situation to what we were just even three or four years ago would be completely, we'd be lying to ourselves. Um, this program, by qualifying for the 2022 World Cup, changed forever because the expectations changed forever and the quality on the pitch has been better. Like the quality on the pitch five years ago was not in the same stratosphere as even no. what we saw last night in a losing effort to Jamaica. Yeah, so what we, does... have, we do have to recognize that. And that needs to be you know part of this equation that we factor in it doesn't make the loss yesterday acceptable doesn't make it something we should be proud about uh, but it, it we do need to recognize that this this path we're on is kind of a long tumultuous path it's not going to be a linear you know we completely climb the fifa rankings all the way from 120th to you know 15 where we stay for the next decade like that was never how it was going to work out um also one more thing because i just remember this i remember before Canada rose in the in 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 the in the FIFA rankings, um, there was a a post that a poll that Canada Soccer put out, and it was asking fans what would be your goal be in terms of FIFA Coca Cola ranking by 2026. What should our goal be as an organization? Where would you like to see this team? And I remember putting 30 top 35 in the world because I figured like fringe World Cup caliber team. This was before Canada's big ascension, and. It's funny that within a year of putting that poll out, they had reached that goal. They got into 35 in the world, uh, right in around that area. Yeah, I think it was 33. Yeah, yeah, 33. Yeah. I don't know what, what number it was, but they had basically reached the goal that I had set out for where I wanted them to be. At this time, it was like five or six years down the road, 2026. And they then, you know, within a year, basically, they had they had reached that goal. They jumped from 80 to 35 or whatever. So it just goes to show you, like, that that was a that was a blur, but that's not sustainable. Like to do that, it takes time. And do I think they'll be top thirty five by twenty twenty six? I think that it's very very possible, very likely. I think they that make you're Copa see America. ebbs and flows, right? You're going to see ebbs and flows though in that. Like they dropped at one point, they were back down to but behind fifty, and now they're back above fifty. But now they lost to Jamaica. They might be. I mean, they won and lost to Jamaica, right? So yeah, but but the the win will will not give them as many points as the loss just because of FIFA ranking. But again, needless to say, it's not really the point that I'm trying to make. It's it's more about like it's not going to be this linear, this beautiful, you know, from obscurity to now we're top fifteen consistently every single year. And it doesn't work that way. And to be fair, the run was basically that was that it was just everything went perfect, right? Everything. calendar year basically like yeah they, yeah, you know, yeah so that, and, that's and they and, played a, more than they've ever played in a calendar year so it's just like you you can't that's not a you can't replicate that it doesn't not even you know the best year the u.s will have ever had will resemble that they're gonna have losses against teams that they probably should beat so it's unrealistic to expect us to be able to sustain that trajectory now i do think you want to put yourself in situations where you can win trophies which we just took ourselves out of one but yeah. you want to put yourself in situations where you can win hardware to actually validate the growth that's happened because we don't have it in the show for it other than a World Cup uh, uh, qualification. Not like that's a small deal. It's a huge deal. But I'm, I'm saying, you know, you would love to have 
a gold cup. You'd love to have a Nations League, something physical, mm-hmm. some physical hardware to to validate how much progress has been made over the past three or four years. Uh, and maybe that's coming at some point in the near future. Yeah, but we, I, we can't we can't be lost on this. You know, I, I'll let you speak, sorry. No, no, I, I was just going to say, I just keep thinking about the, the and, I, and I really like Sid, but just like the whole fluke thing is, is that, you know, it's not that this isn't a massive disappointment, but it's also not to take anything back from what happened in 2022 and say, oh, well, that was a fluke. You know, we're back to old Canada. We're going to be. Yeah, I don't like that. And 20th. I'm not saying that's what Sid was saying. I just mean in general, it's mm-hmm. not like as though, you know, we're going to start losing to Martinique all the time and and yeah. Guadeloupe. And it's just that's just not the case where we are at with with this program. It's just very different. So, Yeah. Yeah, that's that's again. That's I even responded to to that tweet from Sid because I said I, I don't think this is like a fair uh, assessment of where we're at or something along those lines because I don't think it was. I think it was. I think it was. Uh, it was. It was an emotional response, and I can respect that as an emotional person um, who sometimes says things that I don't actually mean because it hurts. You know, and sometimes it's a coping mechanism. You can say, "Man, we're hmm. what the heck are we doing? We suck." It's like I don't actually think we suck. I think we're. I think we're really good. Um, but, you know, I get people who respond that way. And I think that it was more that than, I mean, you can't, you couldn't have watched Canada's World Cup qualifying and thought Canada didn't deserve to qualify for the World Cup. You couldn't have thought that. Yeah. And you also can't watch the team currently, like even yesterday, you know, like you can't watch the team yesterday and say, we, man, if only we, we're just not at the level of Jamaica. Like we can't no. compete with this. Team. They were the better. They Canada should have won the over Canada. two legs. They were, they were the better team. No doubt about that. It's, it's like they were naive. They made mistakes. They got bit for their mistakes. And they got it's not like, either. yeah, any little unlucky and, you know, handball that I, I don't know how a, a referee makes that call in that moment. Yeah. I don't even want to get into it. I'm surprised we've gone 46 minutes into this podcast and I haven't mentioned it yet. But yeah, no, I will <laughs> say I, I saw I saw a point and everyone in the media room was like, what, what, ha- what, ha- mm-hmm. what? Like no one understood. It was so, un- like, so not obvious or yeah clear. I thought it was maybe offside at first and, and then... I mean, that ref was just, uh, I know the Jamaicans were complaining. I get some of their gripes. The Canadians were too. That ref was just the ultimate CONCACAF ref in, in so yeah. many ways. But um, yeah, I, I think, what are some of the, maybe the positives before I let you go um, of just not necessarily the performance per se, because obviously it was such a disappointment, but, you know, any standouts, players, um, anything you saw that you you, you like from the two legs? I thought Tejan looked really engaged, um, both legs. I thought he was dynamic. Richie Larea, I, I I don't know how many times I I can possibly have the same discussion about him, but he, he's so he's good. Always, yeah. He just all he just I don't know how he hasn't played at a higher level uh, and gotten consistent run at a higher level because he's he's just he's just not an MLS level fullback. He he's he's so so much above that level, um, and so yeah, I just. I, I hope it works out for him at some point where he can. Yeah, he made the wrong move at the wrong yeah. time, and it was. It just like happened that. to be. Yeah, it happened to be the wrong move. It happened to be a team that bought seventeen other players. Uh, well, they made the players. they made the Premier League un- unexpectedly. They're like mid table, yeah. and then, anyways, but but yeah, yeah, it just, it was you're right. The situation was just wrong, and it's he didn't know that when he signed, and I think he just really wanted to make that jump, and he started. You know, he's get, not that he's getting up there in age, but he's not a young young prospect, That's so true. he needed to kind of make that move. At the time he did it, it was like his opportunity to make that move, um, and so I, I don't fault him at all. But you know, in hindsight, it ended up being the wrong location. And I think he, if he ended up, you know, going to Belgium or going to 
the Netherlands or really any other league in, in the world, uh, he'd probably still be playing there or he'd still be playing in Europe. It just happened to be, again, the wrong situation. And I feel for him because the talent's there. There's no doubt about it. He can play at that level. And every time he plays against a high-level opponents, I think the same thing. So he was a bright spot. The whole right side, yeah. Buchanan, Larea. I, I thought I, Larea had a really good two-game window as well. Shouldn't be lost on, uh, you know, obviously he's missed, he missed a few chances, especially in the second match. But I thought overall his hold-up play was a game-changer for us. And when he was on the pitch, we had trouble holding up the ball. So he was very valuable in that sense. Um, and also, I think he's always been able to help David a little bit because David just doesn't perform as best as an out-and-out nine. Yeah. So when he was playing with Laren, I thought they had some good link-ups. There's no doubt it was when we were most dynamic. There were a lot of positives. I mean, like as much as it's, it feels horrible to, to, to lose that way, and it's hard to have positives when you lose that way, to, to think of them. But when you just think of like the matches themselves for what they were, uh, the chance creation was not a problem across yeah, Europe. I legs. think it was 2.8 something to 1.4, the expected goals for Canada. Yeah. Like, it, you know, we, we we weren't struggling to create chances. It could have been four in the first half alone. Um, so we have to look at it for what it was. Andre, if Andre Blake doesn't have the best game of his life, like we're probably <laughs> in Copa America already, you know. Uh, but again, those are the positives, unfortunately, are things we all kind of already knew. Like, you know, Larea is good. Yeah. You know, David works better with Laren, like better with another, you know, hold up striker. Yeah. We knew that, you know, so it's like there weren't a lot of new learnings, but it's still good to see guys like that perform um, at the levels that they did. Uh, and and then, you know, on the other end, there were a lot of concerning things. Uh, I think it would have been just fantastic to get a big stop from Borean across these two games. And I commented it on the space yesterday. It's like, feels like we haven't had a, a big Borean stop since the, Hamilton game against the US. That was the last one we're like, man, he really he might have just like saved us in this one. He made a big, you know, a big moment in that game. Um Andre Blick had four, you know, in the first half. <laughs> like so yeah. you, it, it's like yeah, it's it's kind of another thing you're up against. Is like you have a goalie who's hot, he's just making ridiculous saves. And they at some point through World Cup qualifying were getting those saves from Borean. He was coming up big for them. And it just doesn't feel like we're getting those saves anymore. It's like every good chance is in the net. And, and they're not goals you can blame him for. They're not you're like, but, but you don't look at him and say, yeah, he should have stopped that Shamar Nicholson breakaway. No, like, but Blake on the other end was making those saves. And so that's another thing where you're like, do we have a Blake in our player pool? Is it Dane St. Clair? Is it Maxine Crepeau? Like, are these guys I, at that level where they can make a save and save us a game? Maybe. I think so. I, maybe not to that level, but I think they're, an upgrade I, I i i always find watching david i always really like watching jonathan david he always is so smart um it's it's just weird i just always feel like there's something missing but it's not his fault <laughs> that makes any <laughs> sense i don't i don't know how best to describe it other than it, it's he's almost there and i don't know what that extra something to be better is but um i, I really enjoy watching him and i think he's such a smart uh, effective player i can pinpoint it actually and there's another thing that came up in yesterday's space um which is i i think a pro, from a profile perspective and this is what these are the kind of assessments you're going to need a manager to come in and make from a profile perspective neither david or laren are really strikers who can challenge a goalkeeper from outside of the box like they're, they're yeah. neither of them are guys like i'm going to put my lace through, laces through this ball and challenge you um shamar nicholson blasted that ball into the net past past Borean um the way he hit that ball I, I think Ugo maybe has in him but I don't know if we have any other profiles uh, any other striker who mm -hmm. has that profile who is just like 
can really punish a goalkeeper with a powerful shot. Um, David's always been more of a finesse guy. Laren's always more of a finesse guy. They like to find the soft spots in the box. They're one-touch finishers, two-touch finishers. They're crafty players, right? Kind of cute and dainty around the box at times. But I don't know if they have that guy who you give him, you know, a few extra yards of space outside the box and he's going to put it into the corner. Like, I, I just don't they think don't they have, have that guy in their player pool. Um, and, and it's not just the strikers, by the way. It's even in the midfield. Like, I, you, you know, you play against Stack some of the maybe. And, but even still, he's not he's not it's really going to try it. He, they're always what they're looking for Canada when they play, and I think teams have caught on to this is that they're looking to go play wide and then play across the six yard box. That's their style. They love it. They love the wide players. If they can get their advantage to a wide, get to the end line, and cut it back to David and Laren, usually to both of them. You have you know one of them kind of coming to the penalty spot and one of them to the back post. Very difficult to defend. If you get Buchanan and Davies into the right areas, they can do that all day long, and that's where like eighty percent of our goals come from. We're very it's very, it feels very prescriptive, like prescriptive. Like it's very much like, this is how we score. Um, yeah. And then when teams can kind of take that away, then, you know, all of a sudden it becomes more difficult to score. So I think, again, you, t- you talk about somebody coming in and, and looking at the team and watching a whole bunch of games and seeing what went wrong and then saying, okay, well, our player profile that we're looking for is X, Y, and Z. Well, what players do we have available that maybe we haven't tried out? Can we move somebody into a different position? This is the sort of stuff that you expect a, a really high quality national team manager to figure out and to be able to make on the fly adjustments in a match. Like the way, you know, Jamaica's manager made yesterday, bringing Bobby yeah. Reed into the midfield. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. And obviously it paid in, it paid the dividends very early on. So I think you need a manager to be able to do those things and to be able to make those assessments and to say, Hey, we do X, Y, and Z really well. How do we pronounce uh, our, our strengths? How do we sort of minimize our weaknesses? It's things that Herdman did really well in his early days. I think now the tactics have gotten a little bit stale and figured out. So you just need a new fresh set of eyes to reevaluate the player pool and figure out how to put all the pieces of the puzzle back together. And that's that's where I think Canada's at. Well, you just made your pitch to Canada soccer to be the next head coach of the <laughs> men's national team. So uh, Adam Iafredi, uh, I, I really appreciate this. Um, thanks so much for doing this. We'll definitely do it again um and yeah thanks uh thanks again and everyone anything you want to plug for you know for your twitter or for uh, just or just... It, uh, if you if you haven't if you don't follow me on twitter um uh, yet it's at creates of freights uh i follow i try to follow back all the, the canadian soccer accounts so if i if i haven't i apologize um if i may have lost you in the shuffle but uh certainly i try to i, I love to have i love the community we've we've built um the Canadian soccer, you know, fandom that, that uh, exists. And it, it actually encourages me so much about the future of soccer in this country, because you see how many people are so passionate about this topic. Um, and it really does make you feel like there's only one way we can head and it's up. So yeah. uh, definitely if you, if you don't follow me there, uh, follow me, I'll give you a follow back and uh, I appreciate you guys. Well, thank you, coach. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, thanks so much.